the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Fellow redeemed, what is your greatest need? In the face of ongoing health issues, maybe you believe your greatest need is that of healing. In the face of financial strains, maybe you believe your greatest need is a little bit more money in the bank. In the face of familial issues, maybe you desire peace and reconciliation within your family. In the face of a full calendar at work and in the home, maybe your greatest need is that of a few more hours in the day. In the face of increasing violence in our communities and country, in the face of ongoing war in Ukraine and now in Israel, maybe your greatest need is that for peace. Peace in our community, peace in our country, peace in our world, so that you yourself could feel at peace about your future, as well as your children or your grandchildren. What is your greatest need? need. In the gospel for this morning, we're confronted with a man who's a paralytic, and that means he can't walk. And as a result, he can't do those things that we naturally do without thinking, like getting out of bed, walking to the kitchen to get food or a drink. And unable to accomplish the basic task of life, he has to rely solely upon the help of others. Now hearing about this man, about how he's paralyzed, that he couldn't walk, we're led to believe that his greatest need is that of the ability to walk. Well, his friends thought so. Having heard of or possibly seen Jesus' miracles when he was last in Capernaum, some people brought to Jesus a paralytic lying on a bed. In the parallel accounts of this narrative, which are found in St. Mark and St. Luke, we hear that the men had to lower the paralytic through an opening in the roof because there was no way for them to get to Jesus through the great crowd that surrounded him. And then, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Did you catch that? Your sins are forgiven. These individuals bring to Jesus a man who's paralyzed, who couldn't move. And instead of healing him, which he could have, Jesus did it to the centurion's servant. He did it to Peter's mother-in-law. He did it to many others. Yet instead of healing the man, Jesus says, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Does this strike you as a little odd? Why didn't Jesus give this man this physical healing, healing that he greatly needed? Well, in forgiving this man his sins, Jesus would have you see this day that more than physical healing, 
more than more money in your bank, more than a few more hours in a day, more than having peace in your family, in community, in the world, and in country. Your greatest need in this life is that of the forgiveness of sins. Sin can be defined as every thought, every word, every deed, which is against God's law. That is law to love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, as you heard last week, and to love him or love your neighbor as yourself. We sin against God and our neighbor because we're sinners. It's as we confess, we're by nature sinful and unclean. And just because you don't naturally or necessarily feel this sin like some sort of ongoing physical ailment, it doesn't mean that sin isn't the greatest issue plaguing you. Sin leaves you spiritually paralyzed, unable to stand in the presence of the Almighty God. Sin confines you to a life of temporal and eternal punishment. And so, more than anything else, your greatest need is that of the forgiveness of sins. It's no wonder why the psalmist writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Where there's the forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation with God. And yet, apart from this forgiveness, you remain an enemy of God, separated from Him, doomed to eternal death in hell. And so Jesus addresses what this man desperately needs. That is the forgiveness of sins. Every physical ailment, like this man's paralysis, finds its source in sin, which from the fall has corrupted the bodies and souls of every man. Now, having heard Jesus' words of forgiveness, the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. St. Mark writes that they thought Who can forgive sins but God alone? And in this latter point, they're correct. As God is the one who gives the law, and any transgression against his law is ultimately against him, only he can forgive sins. We're completely helpless in this regard. And yet the scribes sin in that they don't believe that Jesus is true God in human flesh and blood. As a result, they don't believe that Jesus could actually, or had actually, forgiven the man of his sins. To them, Jesus' words are empty words, are sinful words, are blasphemous words. Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew the accusations that they were raising against him. And so it is that Jesus says, Why do you think evil in your thoughts, in your hearts? 
For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed, and go home. And he did. Jesus does what is lesser, that is the healing, in order to prove what is greater. Jesus heals the paralytic with a single word in order to prove that he does, in fact, have the authority to forgive sins with a single word. And in order to bestow upon this man the forgiveness of sins, and in order to bestow upon you the same forgiveness of sins, was anything but easy for Jesus. In order to forgive sins, that which is your greatest need, the God of heaven and earth took on human flesh and blood in the person of Jesus. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, for you. In order to forgive sins, that which is your greatest need, Jesus kept the law perfectly for you. He was tempted in every single way that you are yet without sin, as the author to the Hebrews writes. In order to forgive sins, that which is your greatest need, it took his bloody sweat and agonizing suffering on the cross. It took him being paralyzed, limped under our enemy of death, cut off from life by the damning wrath of God. And yet while Jesus was crucified for your trespasses, for your sins, he was raised on the third day for your justification. That is, God declares sinners righteous. That is, God declares the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake. And having won for you this forgiveness through his crucifixion and resurrection, it's his to give. He wants to give to you that which you need the most. And he does so through his word and sacraments. It happened in the holy absolution when Jesus spoke through his called servant, I forgive you all of your sins. It's happening now as his called servant proclaims the gospel to you. That Jesus died on the cross for you. That he rose from the dead for you in order to give you that which you need. Forgiveness of sins. It happens as Jesus gives you his very body and blood under the bread and wine for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Through the proclamation of his word and his sacraments, Jesus leaves no doubt that this forgiveness is for you. And it's given here, in this place. It's why you need to make attending church the highest priority in your life. Above work, above sports, above family functions, above sleeping in after a late night. 
You need to make attending church the highest priority in your life above everything. It's here where Christ says to you, take heart, my son. Take heart, my daughter. Your sins are forgiven. And this forgiveness is received by faith. Just as faith drove the men to bring the paralytic to Jesus. And faith acts. And that those who receive this forgiveness, it also means that faith acts in sharing this forgiveness with others. As Jesus has forgiven you, you've been set free to forgive others, to bestow upon others what they need the most, their greatest need. St. Peter tried to put a limit on forgiveness once. He once asked Jesus, Lord, how often will I forgive my brother's sin against me? I forgive him. As many as seven times. But Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. In other words, Jesus is saying, you forgive without limit. Having been forgiven through the blood of Christ, you are set free to forgive your neighbor when they sin against you. Spouses, Forgive one another because God and Christ has forgiven them. Brothers and sisters, forgive one another because God and Christ has forgiven them. You forgive those individuals sitting next to you in the pews because God and Christ has forgiven them. And when you forgive them, we can't knowingly hold something against them. Forgiveness means it's in the past, never to be brought up again. Fellow redeemed, when Jesus says that your sins are forgiven, they are in fact forgiven. It's backed by his suffering and death on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the dead. And is this forgiveness, is your greatest need, what you need the most, most, nothing pleases him more than for you to receive it, to trust his gracious gift to you, and to speak those same freeing words to those who come to you in sincere repentance. O redeemed, rejoice in this blessed gift of forgiveness. Cling to it. Cherish it. For where there is the forgiveness of sins, there is also eternal life and salvation with our Lord. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.